Hello, what's going on, y'all? Hope everyone is good. Uh, uh, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I'm just tired. I hope that the sunshine that's peeking out right now helps with that and my next cup of coffee, too. Um, it is March 3rd, day after my birthday. It's 7.06 in the fucking morning, and we're here to talk to you about revolution, about international solidarity, about psychology, about all kinds of stuff. So, for folks who are tuning in for the first time, welcome. This is In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and proletarian revolution. Uh, if these are new concepts to you or something you hope to understand further, uh, please feel free to continue to tune in. If this is you checking back in, uh, what's up? Good to see you, slash, have you here? Um, please, for the love of Christ, tell me why you're here again. Tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. Please get a hold of me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com, on Instagram, uh, indefensiveliberation, on Twitter, redstarbitch420. You don't need to follow me. I don't, I don't really care about that shit. I'm just saying those are places to get a hold of me. Um, but uh, please do get a hold of me and let me know what you think about the show, whether it's positive or negative. But remember, I am a person. So, don't be mean. Also, I'm trans, so we're working on making that more of a, like, open thing. My two, two of my three older sisters uh, know now that is kind of freaking me out. But <clears throat> they were both supportive and positive. I just never know how to trust them. You know, I never know how to trust anybody, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to start this episode out by talking about something that I don't know that I've ever expressly gone into, but I want to make clear that, uh, you know, we here on the show, and by we, I mean me, and folks who listen to the program, are 100% in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution with the Sandinista Revolution in Nicaragua, with the Bolivarian Revolution in Venezuela, with the uh, Iranian Revolution in Iran, um, all with critical mindsets, of course. We are also 100% in support of the Chinese People's uh, Communist Party, as well as their revolution and their nation building and their development as the world's largest population, 1.3 billion people, I believe, uh, right next to India, who we got solidarity with the Indian people who are struggling, but we do not fuck with the Modi government. Uh, fuck the Modi government. Fuck Hindutva. Uh, uh, fuck the BJP. 
Anyways, um, we are 100% in solidarity with the Vietnamese people and state who are fighting for socialism and for liberation for the people. Uh, shout out Luna Oi. Uh, check out her content. We are also 100% in solidarity with all national liberation struggles and socialist revolutionary parties which are fighting for, again, a true liberation for the people. What that means to me uh, to, you know, qualify that statement is that ultimately these individuals, groups, organizations, parties, collectives, nations understand that there is currently an old society which has ruled over the globe for over 500 years. That's that uh, system being colonialism, capitalism, and imperialism. These individuals, nations, organizations recognize first and foremost that it is the people's duty and the people's uh, human destiny to liberate themselves from all forms of oppression in order to build a collective society where each and every person is granted by human necessity not only the bare minimum for survival but also an equal, equitable, safe, comfortable, happy society which uh, uses the resources, knowledge, technology, uh, and uh, power and capabilities which it possesses in order to uplift and liberate the people of all different backgrounds, uh, nationalities, ethnicities, etc. So... Of course, we look at different revolutions around the world, and I can sit here in my car driving to work in North America, not having had any revolutionary party or any revolution myself, uh, and say, oh, well, you know, I, I don't really like that Hugo Chavez did this thing in 2000, whatever, or I don't really like that Maduro said this thing, or, you know, I'm not a huge fan of uh, this or that policy that China is, you know, pursuing, or I'm not a huge fan of, uh, this part of Vietnamese socialism. But as, um, our comrade down south in Brazil, Jones Manuel, speaks about in his article on Black Agenda Report, the left in the United States is obsessed with purity, um, and that comes from a few different things. One, imperial ego, which allows us to think that anyone in the global south gives a fuck about what we have to say, unless we're going to actually build with them and support them, or have our own revolution here. The second being the fact that you have a extremely far-right, conservative, religious, extremist, Protestant, evangelical, and Catholic uh, kind of majority of the settler class which came in and began to build its state through the genocide of indigenous peoples and the enslavement of African peoples um, and so through that you have this ideology that kind of permeates into our psyche in different parts of our uh, existence when we're examining individuals or examining histories um, we commonly comp comprehend things in the 
responsible responsible and conscious you know mindset we feel we have at the time and if you know a person or a revolution or a political party made a mistake or said something reactionary or had an alliance with a group that we can look at now and say with the foresight and with the uh, ability of understanding that comes with looking back at history that this was a wrong move. But to sit here and say like, so then X party, X individual is negated as revolutionary, as socialist, as communist, that's goofy. Um, And it also doesn't matter. So recognize your kind of imperial uh, ego and take a fucking step back unless you're going to do something about it here. Because you can't do nothing about Cuba. You can't do nothing about China. You can't do nothing about Iran. You can't do nothing about uh, Vietnam or Venezuela unless, in any case, you're going to do something here. Which, you know, none of us are yet. At least to any real extent. I, I Fuck. <laughs> you let me know and we'll, we'll team up, you know, if you're fucking... If you're on it. But anyways... Cuba got put back on the state-sponsored terrorist list by Biden. Um, and Biden and the Democratic Party at this point, I, I really hope it's, you know, never been clearer for folks that it, it's republican light and, like, you know, you got two sides of the same coin flipping back and forth doing the same shit. Biden's continuing Trump's policies. Trump was continuing some of Obama's policy. Obama was you know, continuing some of Bush's policy. It's just how it goes. Um, Because you have a duopolistic, a duopoly, a monopoly, but has two um, dominance over the political structure, over the social relations, over the economic controls, over the productive forces, both of whom are funded by the same capitalist, imperialist, think tanks, arms manufacturers, billionaires, etc. Because that's how it goes in a capitalist system. However, in a socialist society around the world, these things are being rooted out and gutted out bit by bit in a scientific process which also allows for the building of something positive after the negation of something negative, right? Because if you just remove, say, you know, in Peru, where Pedro Castillo was overthrown in a U.S.-backed coup by Dino Boluarte, um, if you remove the reactionary Congress, which helped to throw him in prison, but did nothing to replace them, did nothing to put in a power structure or institution which could capture and hold political, constructive and destructive power, then the reactionaries would only reorganize themselves and take power from different means. So this is what I'm talking about. In a socialist revolution, not only are the reactionary forces destroyed, but the revolutionary forces are constructed. 
and that is from the people, from the base of society up. Because ultimately, someone like Nicolas Maduro, someone like Hugo Chavez, someone like Fidel Castro, someone like President Xi Jinping, someone like um, Ho Chi Minh could not understand what revolution was, could not understand what needed to be done and what was wrong without first and foremost going to the people. And I think that's something that so many of us use as a mantra and yet so few of us actively participate in because surely we can look at the different political movements which have existed in the you know past 20 30 years and see maybe great theory some particularly cool actions um however what we don't see is a popular appeal to the masses which has taken hold and ultimately shifted the mindset and the behaviors and the political ideology and the actions of people. And that is because capitalism and imperialism have advanced to such a stage where, especially in the imperial core, of course, all over the world as well, it is increasingly difficult to garner any sort of mass communication or information and knowledge spread. It is very difficult to combat the extreme nature of the media influence in people's lives, it is overwhelmingly complicated to work through some of the more nitty-gritty symptoms of the capitalist system, like the psychological and sociological developments that occur in people who live in this world, in this reality, which is oppressive, which is restrictive, which is uh, misinforming them which is disorganizing and confusing them, which is mystifying itself and ultimately working towards stealing more of our labor force, of our wealth accumulation, of our power and institutions. But this is not inherently something that cannot be overcome. In fact, in my own personal belief, sorry, I had to take a drink of water. 
in my own personal belief, I feel that this system has created its own doom. Marx said, you know, the capitalists have created their own grave diggers. What I mean is that you cannot go on indefinitely colonizing the world and expect that eventually the colonized masses won't overcome the doctrine of the colonizer organize themselves and overthrow them this hypothesis has been tested all over the world successfully mistakenly with critical you know uh, what should we call it I won't use the word nuance because I think that's a cop-out in this situation. But you have certain developments within a revolutionary process which ultimately have to take a step back in order to properly take a strong step forward. Does that make sense? Because, like, for example, you could have all the Trotskyists in the world shit on the, you know, economic policies of the Soviet Union post-revolution or all the, you know, Maoists in the world speak about the uh, capitalist rotors in China who have, you know, uh, sorried and soiled the revolutionary process of the masses. And yet, at the same time, look at what both those groups have been able to accomplish versus what the Soviet Union and China have been able to accomplish. Now, I don't need to defend my personal opinions to anyone. The fact of the matter is, they don't matter. (laughs) What does matter is action. So, something I want to talk about before we kind of like get more into the, the discussion of what to do is the psychology and the social relations that come along with a society such as ours. Joker meme, right? Joker meme. We live in a society. Joker meme. Shout out, Asriel. Um, That's the homie. But, anyways. The... The definitive property of an oppressive regime is going to be, of course, oppression. So, it's going to be everywhere. And... You can't have a gun pointed at your head, metaphorically and literally, your entire life, 
and not expect that some sort of consequences are going to come from that. For example, I'm sure, unfortunately, many of us come from family backgrounds where things like emotional, physical, or other traumas exist. When you grow up in that environment, you internalize not only the consequences from whatever, you know, physical or mental actions come against you, but you also literally pick up on the behaviors of those within the environment, especially, for example, like your parents, right? It's very annoying. I have the same behaviors as my fucking piece of shit father, not behaviors like being a piece of shit, but like when I sit and think about something, I put my hand on my chin, right? And I take my thumb and I rub like my top lip back and forth, which is something he always does with like his arms crossed. Or like when I sit on the couch and I put my feet up, I like rub my feet together and shit. That's stuff he used to do. And every time I do it, I'm like, fuck. But anyways, that's what I'm saying is like, so that's one very small example of like against my own better willpower, me internalizing and reproducing certain habits or behaviors that I grew up in or around. Now, when you take something like that and you, you know, kind of blow it up, right? And you look at it from a sociological perspective or, you know, rather than using fancy terminology, when you look at it across the spectrum of the world, across like the many different types of environments and societies and systems that have and do exist across the globe, you have a pretty great example to say that whether good or bad, negative or positive, all actions have an equal or greater reaction. All, you know, things that you experience, everything that you do, everything that you hear, everything you, you know, go through, ultimately will have some sort of effect, whether, you know, again, good or bad, on you. Another example for me, growing up, I was very lucky to have grandparents who loved each other extremely, extremely strongly, who had immense compassion for each other and care for one another, who openly showed their affection, who hugged, who kissed, who held hands, who sang to each other, you know what I mean? Holy shit, I'm going to cry. Um... (laughs) And because of that, I feel I am better able to love my partner and show my affection towards my partner, something that otherwise I might have been uncomfortable with because my parents are like the complete opposite and don't show much affection and (laughs) don't seem to love each other. Still married, but you know what I mean? Um... And so, 
you know, I was able to take on that positive quality, even though I also existed within the negative environment that my, or negative example that my parents set. So, and that's not to say that you're only, like, in a good relationship if you're lovey-dovey and shit like that. That's not my point. My parents just suck. Don't, don't take that on to yourself and personalize that. It's my example. But when you're talking about something, again, like a system, like capitalism and imperialism, you legitimately cannot escape outside of a revolutionary process the mind and day-to-day control of you. Now, you might think, and I'm, I'm going to break some people's hearts here, you might think you're unique. You might think you're an incredibly, you know, independent person that thinks outside the box. And maybe you do. Maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Or maybe you're like probably one to two billion people around the world who consume the same media that you do, who wear the same clothes that you do, who listen to the same music that you do, who have similar beliefs to you. Now, that's not a bad thing. In fact, I, I see a lot of positive in that. But my point is that for us who think that we're charting our own path and we're, we're on to something new, we're on a new wave. Maybe. But look around. Because my guess is that you are replicating behaviors of popular, uh, you know, individuals, groups, your friends, your family. You're probably internalizing social norms. You're probably replicating the type of media and the interests, similarly to myself, that seem to be in the popular lexicon. For example, when a music trend takes over, you got artists who never have made music like that before who make music like that before. Before I recorded this podcast, I looked at the latest episodes of my favorite podcast to see what others had been talking about. This is what I mean. Which, again, doesn't necessarily mean anything good or bad. What I'm saying is that when you exist within a pretty constructed environment very little of what we experience on a day to day is you know what we could call natural it's it's almost impossible to expect you're going to be able <clears throat> to even so much as have the time or like the places to look to individualize yourself fully. Things like self-actualization, right? Understanding who you are and accepting it and really, you know, taking it on and reclaiming it. That's not something that is very easily done in a world where you have to go to work every day. 
where, you know, your family is negatively affected by the fact that they either had to work every day or they had to figure out how to survive if they weren't working every day. And the abuse and traumas that they experienced and their parents experienced eventually come down to us. So, I'm reading Wretched of the Earth right now by France Fanon. I've listened to plenty of discussions about it. I have some decent knowledge about who France Fanon was, where he came from, what his experience was, because um, a couple different podcasts and YouTube channels have covered these things. But I've never sat down and actually read it. So under the advice of a very good friend of mine, Brent, over at Rad Reads on YouTube, I was told to get the <coughs> Penguin Modern Classics version of Frantz Fanon, The Wretched of the Earth, translated by Constance Farrington with a preface by Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, mainly because <clears throat> the language is a lot more sharp, it's less academic, and it's more a tool for both colonized people and, you know, settlers, Europeans, Euro-Americans, to really understand deeply the world that they live in and the reverberations that it has on people. So in the book, right, it talks about how, especially in chapter one on violence, when a colonized population, especially like enslaved Africans or indigenous peoples, are daily subjected to like brutality beyond human imagination it seems for the sake of a few things one their taming quote unquote for the enslavement of the indigenous population and for the development of a settler nation mindset and society. If all these things are true at the same time, that means that something like colonialism, something like slavery, affects not only the of course, obviously, enslaved person or people, but as Franz Fanon points out, actually has also pretty extreme consequences on the colonizer. So, for folks who don't know, Franz Fanon uh, was a psychologist psychologist or psychiatrist one of the two psychologist I'm pretty sure and you know technically in some regards a, a sociologist and uh, also was a 
came to be a Marxist, came to stretch Marxism, as this quote says in the book, um, and also came to join the Liberation Front for Algeria after going to Algeria uh, and going to France um, and seeing all the awful things that were happening to the Algerian people, but also how that doing that shit to the Algerian people affected the colonizing French, which is interesting. So like today, right, you have formerly and currently colonized people who have behaviors, societal practices, social relations, economic systems that are not their own, that have not been brought about due to their own creative capacity to build, to construct, but rather were either directly placed upon them or interpreted from the colonizing population. This is why something like representation is not enough because you can have a system like in the United States where you have black, brown, indigenous, Asian, Latino, Chicano, um, immigrants, uh, trans folks, disabled people, elderly folks, lots of elderly folks in office and yet still none of these populations of people are adequately, you know, assisted or supported or given the power and ability to decide their own destiny and history and how they want to structure their own society. But in fact, you just get told like, oh, you, uh, you voted in Barack Obama, so we won. Way to go, folks. Um, But it's deeper than that, too, because, of course, you have a real detrimental monstrosity which has imperialized and colonized the globe once again, which cannot be said to be, you know, something that an individual or individual behavior or individual political party or individual nation can completely rid the world of. Because, as we've talked about before on the show, a revolution or a revolutionary process to rid the world of the reactionary tendencies, the oppressive structures, the exploitable and malleable and misinformed mindsets of the people. All of this, you know, of course, exists in order to further subjugate and exploit and enslave the population, the people, the masses. So a system like this can never be said to be something that someone can overcome, you know, through working on 
behaviors of their own or through, you know, building socialism in one nation. Ultimately, you know, the things that we're talking about, these, these class society symptoms have to be taken on not only individually within a certain context of a locality or a nation, but also internationally through participation with and solidarity with revolutionary parties, governments, and people all over the world. So when we're talking about psychology, right, and we're talking about colonialism, we have to understand that it was Europe specifically that went on to colonize the rest of the world. Not only because of this, you know, color of someone's skin, but because of the economic necessity for the plundering and pillaging of another world, especially another world, which was able to be painted in such a way or talked about in a way that dehumanized or delegitimized the existence of people within that nation. So, for example, in Algeria, you know, in the introduction, Jean-Paul Chart, haha, knee slapper, um, went on to talk about how, you know, French people know, they know that the colonization of Algeria and of Africa is happening under their own French flag. And yet, they go on enjoying the fruits of that while, you know, in some instances claiming that they may be against the colonialization of Africa or that they might be against the treatment of African people from a moralistic standpoint. But to actually oppose colonialism not only means humanizing and respecting the humanity of the colonized masses and populations, but also following their lead and their understanding of their struggle fully towards the liberatory objectives of emancipation, of national liberation, of socialism, whatever their objectives may be. In the first chapter on violence, France Fanon talks about how violence ultimately is the way that a colonized person rebirths themselves as human through their struggle for liberation. This is because, and we will talk about it in a few different forms, The social relations which exist, of course, are that between an oppressor and an oppressed person, an exploiter and that person being exploited, someone who is enslaved and someone who is the slave master. Someone is free and someone is not. Now, in that type of relationship, of course, for someone to be okay with the disgusting termination policies 
exploitation and enslavement that happened across the third world in the non-white nations, one would have to also dehumanize themselves. And this is why, you know, folks who join the military have to go through, like, the um, desensification process, right? The desensitivity training where they watch videos of, like, children being massacred, of people being raped, of, you know, mass bombing campaigns, of extremely brutal and grotesque things. My friend who I went to high school with and skateboarded a lot with, he ended up going into the Marines because he's a fucking idiot. And uh, the shit that he told, like, he came back his first year after basic. um, And, like, the thing that he told us the most about was the nightmares that he has now. Um, This was something France Fanon was recognizing in the French Imperial, you know, kind of shock troopers that were going and torturing the Algerians and kidnapping and raping women and uh, murdering children and, you know, acting out the colonists and imperialists' uh, objectives, not in their idealistic manifestations, but in their material reality, which takes murder, rape, torture, extermination, exploitation, and enslavement. In order for a human being to do that to another human being, I believe a human being to do that to anything in existence. I even feel bad when I, like, you know, am mean to an animal that's frustrating me. Like, I had a dog that barked all the time, and it was so fucking annoying. And when I would, you know, tell him to stop or yell at him or get frustrated, I'd feel like shit. So, like, I couldn't imagine... Having like being born in a family or being born in a colonial empire where I had to go out and like colonize people, I don't know how if I could have completely dehumanized and desensitized myself to a point that I could do that to another person. I'm not saying that because I think I'm better than someone, I'm just the phenomenon of dehumanization both of the colonized and of the colonizer is something so beyond I think um, simple measurement or analysis that we don't really like fully contextualize how deep that goes right and of course we're talking about psychosis here we're talking about mental like consequences we're talking about Nightmares. We're talking about torture. We're talking about, like, legitimately disgusting and awful things. And so, Frantz Fanon, right, he does, at the end of his book, a case study where he analyzes both the torturers and the tortured subjects. Um, And in his chapter on violence, when he's talking about the humanization of someone and how that comes about through violence, it's because the actual process of dehumanization is a violent one, right? You cannot convince an entire people that a population doesn't exist or isn't human or deserves to, you know, be enslaved due to nature without guns, without cannons, without courts, without oppression, without 
class uh, structures, without class society, without sexism and racism and patriarchy and militarism and imperialism. You cannot have these things without somewhat one another. You cannot have capitalism without colonialism. And you cannot have colonialism without enslavement, without uh, genocide. So what that means today, right, when we're talking about the psychosis that comes with and psychology that comes with the world that we live in today, um, the fucked up things that we take on and, and repeat, I think a lot of us have, you know, issues dealing with... Um, some of the symptoms that we suffer from because we don't understand where those symptoms are coming from, right? So I'm someone who's gone to therapy for some time now, about seven years. Um, I've taken medication. Um, I've got like the, <laughs> the doctor's diagnosis, I had to go talk to both when I was a kid and when I sought this out myself, a social worker. Um, and none of it made enough sense, right? It's like, for me, when I was a kid, hearing <clears throat> the excuse that, you know, God made me that way or, you know, not everyone is perfect, or families make mistakes, or, you know, eh, toughen up, stuff like that. It was never like, of course, helping me to understand like, okay, why do I feel sad all the time? Why am I so angry? None of that was fully explained or expressed to me because, of course, my parents, my folks didn't have that analysis, didn't have that understanding, but also didn't, weren't looking for it, didn't believe in it, believed that it was up to God, believed that, you know, Satan and sin had coded this world, and so this is just how things are because, you know, we have fallen away from the grace of God and, you know, given our soul to the devil effectively by not giving our soul to Christ. And so therefore we're going to have depression or we're going to have addiction or we're going to die because, you know, we're not following Christ. But of course, you know, to a fucking child, this sounds insane, which is hysterical because how does it not sound insane to adults? But then also... Like, you know, because I'm not trying to disrespect anyone. It just never clicked for me in the way that, you know, I wanted it to. Because growing up in that environment, of course, I would have wanted to be able to accept God, to believe in God. I probably would have had a much better childhood. Um, probably would have got along with my family much better. Probably would have had a lot better experiences, maybe. Who knows? But... Because it never clicked for me, because it never made enough sense for me to fully believe it, I could never fully commit myself to it. And so therefore, you know, there was a lot of complications within, um, you know, trying to understand the world around me because not only was I being fed misinformation from two different spheres, you know, the public sphere and then the private family sphere, but because of my parents, you know, uh, phobias of the world and of secular information... I wasn't able to really seek out that information elsewhere. 
I didn't have books to read. I didn't have the ability to go on the internet and look these things up. I didn't have the tools uh, in front of me to be able to liberate my mind so that I could liberate myself. But this is why something like education, like study, like books, like conversation, like organization is really important because, you know, you can have a colonized people who is well aware that they are colonized, who is well aware of the symptoms and reverberations that it causes not only on themselves, but on their colonizers, and also understands this as like a global system, which ultimately can only be confronted by multiple points or multiple poles on the same, you know, front or in a united front. Um, But then in that case, it doesn't necessarily mean that they lead a revolutionary struggle and overthrow their oppressors for a national liberation and then build a socialist revolution. There's people who understand these things and think the way to get out of it is by black people, Africans in Africa, building their own businesses, having their own caches of things like Bitcoin or their own uh, cryptocurrency mining fields or selling off their stocks and their uh, state resources and their state industries to the highest bidder or the land or labor um, for the sake of money or, you know, wealth. But of course, the colonizer is never going to give enough wealth away to give away their position. Someone who is very, very wealthy, right, can donate to charity, but they're never going to give away everything because then they don't have that. Not only are they not going to have that wealth and that power, but of course, then they're not going to have those connections, those relationships, those uh, affects on, um, on like, uh, you know, the world around them because they no longer have the material control that they once had, right? And the same goes for, you know, things like sham independence or things like, uh, you know, progressive, liberal, social democratic, democratic socialist parties who can very clearly enunciate the contradictions within a capitalist society, can point to things like colonialism or imperialism, maybe give a good definition, uh, give a historical, you know, contextualization. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, again, they are successfully leading a revolutionary struggle, nor that they are connected to the masses and truly understand the masses situation um nor does it really mean that uh ultimately they will be able to chart a course to get out of that situation because you know again you have very well-meaning people very smart very experienced people who make mistakes or who are caught in a position of compromise or who lose their support and their friends or their motivation and their drive, um, or who have a lapse of judgment or fear and make a wrong move or don't stand firmly on their principles or don't act because to act would, you know, encourage certain responses from the oppressor. Um, 
that even goes for folks at your workplace, I'm sure. You're going to have people who are like right there with you, right there with you on everything, everything you say. Fuck the boss. They're taking advantage of us. We don't get paid enough. We work hard. We run this place. We should be in control. Da 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 da. And then you get them into a union meeting or you get them in front of the director or you get them in a position where they can talk to their coworkers and what do they do? They take the side of the boss or they fall in line because it's easier to ensure yourself a job when you're listening and following the rules of that job. If you struggle against some of the ways in which that job treats its employees or some of the things that that job expects of its employees, or the way that uh, the directors and leaders, managers and bosses, employers and CEOs uh, live their life, get to uh, you know exist off of the fat that they skim off of the top of our labor. Um, you're not exactly gonna get a whole lot of prospects for employment, right? So, of course, in this case, there's a lot of people who will tend to speak, you know, like nationalist leaders, political, uh, you know, opportunists, um, social movement leaders, religious leaders who can enunciate and speak about certain things well enough to convince people that they understand what they're talking about, or even, you know, clearly do understand what they are talking about. But when it comes to what to do about it, that's where a lot of us make our largest mistakes. So for me, right, I'm not, I'm just, I'm 24 years old. I'm in central New York trying to get some work going. I'm doing the podcast. I'm educating myself. I'm trying to learn to be able to, you know, do better work, to be able to meet some good people. I'm not an expert. But what I can say clearly is that if what we are expecting in regards to a revolution is a mass upheaval against the system as it exists and a part like a popular participation in the development and construction of a new society, a new government, a new human being, new social relations, new economic systems. That requires something that can't just come from simply an understanding of what is, but also an analysis of how it came to be, who put it there, why, how can we root it out, what can we do about it, how can we do that, what are some history or some examples to say what works and what doesn't, how can we further understand our situation in comparison to situations around the world, How can we meet more people? How can we build better relationships? How can we develop in our organizations and in ourselves accountability, uh, security, comfortability, safety, equality, democracy of a sort, and a truly liberatory and emancipatory politics that is unwavering in its principles and in its action. Something like that takes time. Something like that takes real struggle. And struggle is not simply learning or, you know, talking about things or, you know, getting into a fight 
uh, with your boss. Struggle is like a conscious, organized effort to move against the system as it exists so as to get it to move, too. Um, and that's what we're hoping to do, right? Uh, because otherwise, what are we here for? What are we talking about? You know? Like, you just wasted an hour of your time. What are you What are you listening to this for if you're not going to do anything about it? And if you're not going to do anything about it, I don't want to hear nothing from you. I don't want to hear nothing from anyone who's not doing nothing about it. Because it's all well and good what you have to say. But, uh, you know, I keep the same energy for everyone, which is say what you want, but let's see what you can do. Um, and that goes for myself included. I, I have no reason for you to respect me. I have not earned it. I have so much more that I need to do. Uh, so little that I have done. So until that changes, I mean, shit, why are you even listening to me? But, uh, yeah, no, for real, folks, it's, uh, important that we understand realistically that, you know, things like depression, like anxiety, fear, um, isolation, alienation, these are all intentional parts of the process of dehumanization, um, because for us to be human, for us to recognize our humanity means that we would recognize also that others are human and recognize in them their humanity, and that would make it very hard for things like 800 plus military bases to exist around the world all flying a United States flag. It'd make it really hard for NATO to wage war on China and Russia if, you know, the entire world's population understood that, you know, this goes against the human developments of West Asia, of Europe, and of Asia generally to connect with one another. This goes against human history and necessity to... Uh, build a collective society for survival um, and it also goes against the nature of even you know it, it, well it both goes in ha hand in hand with and against the nature of capitalism because of course the idealistic nature of capitalism the, what they tell us about is free trade so you want to have the ability to trade with people to build relations for um, you know alliances mergers things like that to form but, of course, on the flip side of that coin, what that leads to is monopolization. Um, because, you know, of course, competition is not... You don't have a race where your goal is to all come in first. Your goal is... Your goal is to come in first and beat everyone. Meaning that, like, you know, obviously, you can't all end up in the same place. We Not every business is as big and as powerful and as strong as Amazon or as Apple, or as Spectrum, or as Wall Street, right? Um, this is a monopoly, and those monopolies come through the competition period known as, quote-unquote, free trade, which is not free trade, and it's especially not free trade because, effectively, not only is its goal and its tendency towards monopolization... But if it were free trade, you and me would have just as much ability, just as much capital, just as much of a real opportunity to participate in that as anybody else. But of course, we know that Jeff Bezos, uh, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Elon Musk, 
they were all born into extremely wealthy, powerful families with capital and with control, either politically, socially, or what have you, which allowed them for the ability to accumulate the wealth, oftentimes off of the mass exploitation of many, 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 many workers and uh, exploited unpaid workers. So in that sense, ultimately, we don't have free trade and we don't have the same ability because if I'm born and my folks aren't wealthy and I don't own any property and I don't own any capital and I'm not going to get any through inheritance, then I have to work for the rest of my life. And it's really hard as a worker to expect to live the same life as Bill Gates. Um, that's just the reality. And of course, we see this competition everywhere. It's not just between businesses. It's not just between imperialists. We see it in the classroom between students. We see it in our friend groups. We see it on social media. I mean, shit. Sometimes I get very frustrated with how curated I try to make my social media presence, right? Because ultimately, I'm a fucking silly little goofball who normally likes to just post to post for the sake of posting because I'm getting stuff off of my chest. But now because I have done this thing where I've tried to become a better person and evolve. <sighs> what a mistake, right? No, I'm playing. Um, now I like, you know, only want to post things that uh, put across a certain message. Not always. My point being that like if I post something and I look at it and it doesn't make me think that people are going to like it, I delete it, you know? Like, if you post a selfie of yourself, you post the best selfie, especially if you're posting for the sake of likes. Um, whether that be the funniest or the prettiest, it doesn't necessarily matter. That's ultimately up for the context. But anyways, usually the prettiest. Usually you post things that make you look good. You don't post the pictures you don't think you look good in. Um, or at least most people don't. I... I I tend to post those ones because, again, I think it's funny. But then sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get self-conscious. Anywho, my point being that, like, that competition, right, it also comes out in racism. It also comes out in sexism and misogyny and in transphobia and homophobia because if we were all equal, if we didn't care that someone was trans or we didn't care that was someone was a woman, you know, we only measured them by who they were as a person and their quality of personhood, um, they wouldn't be able to use things like racism, like transphobia, like, you know, uh, xenophobia to make us hate one another because we would all understand inherently that we're all human beings. And yeah, some human beings suck, but that's not because they're, you know, uh, African or because they're trans. It's because they suck, you know? Like, I know trans people who are not great people. I know Mexican folks who are not great people. I know family members who are not great people. None of these characteristics matter outside of the fact that they aren't great people. Um, and again, that's not just simply based off of their words. Um, the best way to measure someone is their actions. So again, you know... Can I maybe, you know, out, out, uh, work 
my fellow proletarians and make a shit ton more money than them? Maybe. What does it give me, though? What is this competition, this type of psychology of, uh, you know, exploitation really get us? And, uh, you know, transactional relationships. How, how many of us feel isolated and alone? Raise your hand. How many of us are depressed all the fucking time? Raise your hand. How many of us, you know, struggle with uh, anxiety or PTSD? I mean, these things ultimately exist within a context. There are both the natural occurrences due to, you know, birthing difficulties, substances consumed while in utero, etc. But the majority of things like mental illness, uh, like ideology, like belief systems that come to, uh, you know, be internalized by individuals, it's usually through environmental, uh, you know, circumstances, through experience, uh, and through the, you know, lives that people live. Um... So, you know, in that sense, in that situation, um, that means that we can do different. That means we can educate ourselves and others differently. That means we can act differently, but we can struggle and build a new environment. So what we need is our own institutions. We need our own symbols and our own collectives and our own, uh, opportunities and our own, relationships outside of the the capitalist structure outside of the universities outside of the uh co-opted business unions outside of the uh mainstream political parties in order to influence pressure or eradicate these different forces of repression and reaction That means we have to have our own neighborhood schools. We have to have our own health clinics. We have to have study groups. We have to have political organizations. We have to do mutual aid work. We have to understand physics and chemistry. We have to study engineering. We have to study military science and lead an armed struggle. We have to fight like hell for liberation in every avenue where we can fight. That means we have to struggle for the building of political consciousness in every opportunity and avenue that is possible. We cannot look at anything as too imperfect for us in the sense that to draw a line in the sand should be to draw a line between reactionism and revolutionism between revolution and reaction, not between our favorite ideas and our not favorite ideas, not between what we want to do and what others want to do, not between our, you know, minds and the reality in front of us. Um, Because that cognitive dissonance that comes in organizational spaces, that comes from living life in a very you know, repressive, misinforming society, that cognitive dissonance is something that, something that can kill. Um, it can leave us stranded for opportunities to be co-opted and further, you know, criminalized or colonized 
It can leave opportunities for capitalism and imperialism to sneak back in and sink its hooks into us. And it can ultimately leave us isolated and alone and uh, unable to lead any revolutionary struggle, let alone the perfect, most amazing one that we have in our mind. So in closing, folks, I just want to say that, you know, all of this comes together in the point that a revolution is necessary. And what a revolution is, ultimately, first and foremost, is an eradication of what already exists through a process of building something new. Now, this can borrow from, learn from, adapt itself from the society as it exists today and most likely will need to in order to go uh, stepping stone to stepping stone to the new world. Because, you know, when you get to a point in your life where you're like, you know, I, I really love rock music, right? Uh, you don't immediately just change who you are as an entire person as hard as you try. You know, you can put up as many posters on the wall. You can change your hair, your makeup. You can, uh, you know, act differently. Um, but down to who you are is still connected to who you were. Does that make sense? I feel like I complicated it further with that. But anyways, my friends, it's been real as always. Please get a hold of me. Peace, love socialism. Be safe. Be well. Stay revolutionary. Bye-bye.